This is the Zealous Podcast with Rocky Snyder, the show that's all about the pros behind the pros. Welcome to this episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder. With me, I've got Bill Parisi from Parisi Speed School. And if you are not familiar with Bill and his schools, then you've been living in a cave somewhere because for the better part of this century here in the 2000s, Bill has been leading the charge in helping to condition athletes in the NFL, outside the NFL, and, and young athletes, especially with his speed schools. And he's got over 90 locations, franchise locations worldwide, a lot of them in the U.S., but also China and Europe and so on. So, Bill, hey, welcome to Zealous. Thank you so much, Rocky, for having me. Excited to be here. Now, it, it's interesting. I won't say we've been living parallel paths, but we were born within months of each other, and, uh, and, and we're in the strength conditioning field. We've both presented for Perform Better, although I'm the old rookie in the crowd here, and you're the seasoned vet when it comes to that. But, but we have come up in the ranks from college years to now, and well, I'd, I'd love to hear your story because mine is so boring compared to yours. Uh, well, I don't know about that. We all have. Oh, great, I, don't th I think so. Yeah, we all have great stories. We all have overcome adversity. We all have uh, done things in our lives that um, sometimes we look back and we're surprised we did that. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, to give you my background, you know, I started out as a high school football player. Coach said, go out for track and field to get faster for football. I wasn't fast as a as a young athlete. Um, I actually played uh, offensive line and linebacker uh, in, in high school. And, um, you know, I wasn't slow, but I started, you know, going out, I went out for track and started learning techniques on how to get faster. Coach said, you know, try the javelin as well. Try all these events. So the javelin, it was something about that event that I liked. I was pretty good at it and I got addicted to it and I continued to compete in football and, and javelin. And I went to some camps about uh, with, for the javelin, you know, back in the eighties and, and learned different training techniques, uh, for the javelin medicine bowl training, different speed training techniques. I went on to actually be the captain of my football team, won the MVP as a lineman. Uh, we went to the state playoffs three years in a row. So, but I was a small, you know, division three football player, but I wound up being a division one javelin thrower. So that led me to Iona, which has a division one track and field program and, and a, had a phenomenal coach. He's Tony DeClario, mentor to me, Olympic level coach. And he exposed us to great training methodologies all through college. And so I traveled the world in college, believe it or not. And when I was a sophomore, I put a fundraiser together. I actually went to Finland for a summer. In 1988, I went to Finland. Well, that was my junior, 89. I went to Finland, and I literally was there for the summer. I was training with Tapios Kuros and competed against them. He won the gold medal in 1988 in the Seoul uh, Olympics. And I was exposed to, you know, these, these training methodologies that were, you know, really pioneered in, in, in Scandinavia and Europe and Germany uh, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And this was the 80s. And, you know, medicine ball, physio ball training, kettlebell training, all the things that we know today. Back in the 80s, every gym in America was like a planet fitness. You know, it was right. all selectorized and cardio. We weren't doing functional training in the 80s. But as a track athlete, uh, as a javelin thrower, which is the essence of, I, I feel, most field and court sports. And and if you ask why, because as a five foot 10 Italian, right, I'm not supposed to throw the javelin really far. You know, really good javelin throwers are, are six foot four Norwegians, you know, Germans, like long levers, tall monsters. So I'm not the prototype uh, 
I couldn't young. tell you were Italian. There was nothing about you that <laughs> said Italian. I mean, like, according you know, to my heritage, I should be making pizzas or maybe laying brick or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like the joke. I mean, uh, you know, we got to have some fun on this. Uh, Heck yeah. And I'm thinking with the javelin, my coach, my high school track coach said, you should try out for the javelin, only the receiving side. And I said, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, forget that. Anyway, yeah, so tell me, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I really, I, I, at 19, I dove into this thing as a student, as a, a quest, right? And one of the things that really put me on this quest, when I was in high school, I competed in a few national meets, the Junior Olympics, and um, the top two place finishers, this was in, uh, in Chicago, it was the uh, Keebler International, top two place finishers are on the U.S. junior team that compete in Japan that year, and I was in second place up until the last thrower of the meet. And in the last throw of the meet, I got beat by two inches, you know, a golf tee. And I was like so crushed. And I had, I was thinking about that USA sweatsuit being on the U.S. Junior Olympic team. And that put me on this quest. Uh, that was my senior year in high school to kind of just go out and learn everything I can about training and about javelin and why javelin is unique and why it's in a lot of exercise, you know, biomechanics books and whatnot. Because if you're someone like me, I'm only 5'10". If you want to throw the javelin really far, and I think far for you know division one college is north of 70 meters you know so you're looking at 220 230 so at, at 236 230 you know you're in all you're a division one all-american pretty much you know so i was a division one all-american uh for two years and um you know it's a decent throw internationally it's it's that's not a good throw but but for the u.s uh north of 230 feet is considered a, a really respectable division one throw it qualifies you for the ncaa championships and and if you throw 230 or better you're going to make the finals and you're going to you're going to be a top six american thrower uh, at the division one throw. so i did that two years in a row but i preparing for that at five foot ten you got to run down the runway linear speed you got to do that really well like you got to have linear speed down the runway if you're only five ten because you don't have long levers and you got to sure. take that speed and you got to transfer that speed into your into your to hand speed. So you got to actually be running about eighty to ninety percent intensity, like a sprint. It's not a jog. You're sprinting down the runway with a seven foot spear in your hand, and you got to stop on a dime. And you got to transfer that force, linear speed, through your core, through your trunk, through your shoulder, into your hand. So it takes speed. It takes strength. It takes core stability, athleticism, flexibility. So the event of throwing, the essence of sports skills, sprinting, jumping, throwing, blocking, tackling, it's the essence of transferring forces from one limb to the other. Uh, swinging a baseball bat, swinging a golf club. When you think about athleticism, it's about the transfer of momentum, of weight, of forces through your body in a specific fashion that ultimately produces limb speed, right? or distal speed. So we talk a lot about proximal stiffness as a key component to creating distal speed, right? We want speed at the feet, foot speed for sprinting. We want hand speed for throwing. So we need to know how to maneuver and transfer weight and transfer forces through our body to create distal speed at the limbs. And the javelin is, is the essence of that, right? Because you're using your whole body. And I got hooked on learning about how to do these types of things. And I parlayed that experience of training at a high level division one level tra traveling internationally to learn and train and then spent a year with tom puskis the american re former american record holder he trained in russia for a while him and his brother and um you know was a two-time olympian javelin thrower lived with him for a year so i was on this quest 
and I still am, of just traveling the world, living with people, traveling for a month to Finland at a very young age. And I still do that today. You know, I'm still on this quest. I'm traveling, not as much now with COVID, but I'm out, I'm going to seminars, I'm, I'm dialoguing with some of the best in the world and uh, just gathering content, filtering it and, and packaging it. And, you know, the Parisi Speed School, I started once I, I graduated college and I you know, was multiple time All-American. I went to the Olympic trials and I moved to Florida. I was a, a graduate assistant at Gainesville. Steve Spurrier's first year coaching down there in 1990. Sure. It was a GA for their track team, strength coach. Lived and trained with Tom Puskas, who, again, was the former American record holder. And, you know, I was I was the strength coach for their track team. We had three Olympians and I was the designated strength coach as the uh, as the grad assistant, which was a great experience. And then I moved back home in 1991 and started my my program, the Parisi Speed School, out of a five hundred dollar van. I was fifty thousand dollars in debt and I was living in my parents' basement. I was twenty four years old. Uh, Every American man's dream right there. You are living the life right there. Yep, yep, yep. 24. And I was out in 1990. I guess this was 93, 94. uh, Really, 92 is when I started. I was out there with a van promoting, you know, you can improve speed, you can improve speed. And I was getting doors slammed in my face because a lot of coaches, especially field and court sport coaches, did not really believe you can actually improve speed. You know, back then, we're talking almost 30 years ago, where maybe a good majority of your listeners were maybe 10 years old or, or younger, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe 12 years old. Where, you know, um, we're talking back in the, uh, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. You know, there wasn't a lot of research on it, but I knew it could happen. Like, I knew the physiological differences that the training I was doing made. Um, and I just kept pushing, kept pushing and made some headway. And you know, got a bunch of kids on board and got a lot of kids faster going from school to school, park to park, and then opened up our first facility in 1993, a small little 3000 square foot studio. And by 1997, I'm very proud of this statistic. And this is over, you know, this is now 20 over 20 years ago. In 1997, in 3000 square feet, we did $927,000 in one year. Yep, 927,000. And for those of you- phenomenal. The phenomenal. For those of you who want to validate that, if you know Tom Plummer, who's a very respected industry consultant, I started yeah. working with Tom back in 1995, um, and and Tom consulted me. We got that that spot up to 927 in 1997, where our average personal training price was 35 dollars, and um, you know that was and we were doing sports performance. We were doing functional training, you know med ball training we, you know, we would do using all the functional tools back then uh in 97 and that parlayed into a second facility in which i opened the second you know that was a a, a 20 000 square foot facility with sports performance that was only a mile down the road because we were just bursting at the seams wow. that's 2.5 million with a 20 percent margin so we were we were ebitda uh earnings before interest taxes and depreciation our, yeah. our profit was you know 500 000 in that in that box uh, that was in uh, 98, we launched that. And then in 2001, we opened our flagship, which is our Fairlawn facility. It's a 30,000 square foot sports performance center. We've been in business for 20 years now in that, in that location. And believe it or not, this is an interesting statistic. For 20 years, every year, we've done a million dollars or better in, in youth performance revenue. So we've averaged over a million dollars in, in, in revenue. Um, for the last 20 years. And I think it's probably one of the only facilities in, uh, on the planet that has that kind of track record and, and history and longevity. So 
we launched that in 2001 and that gave us the idea saying, hey, we've been doing this for almost 15 years. In 2005, we said, we've been, I've been doing this for 15 years. I made a lot of mistakes, you know, opening facilities. I was doing all these different things. I said, maybe it's time to kind of share this information in the form of a license. We're really a license, not a franchise. Gotcha. And now we license to individual coaches. You can get a license if you're an individual coach for, you know, not a whole lot of dough um, for a little bit amount of money. And, and you can learn about all the mistakes we made. And so you don't make them, whether you be want to work out of your house or open up a studio or whatever you want to do. So in 2005, we started licensing our training, our business systems, our marketing, our education, all the things that we've done to be successful, combine training, all that stuff we've packaged up. And now, now we've been licensing for 15 years and, you know, we have over 90 locations. We have one of our most successful locations, believe it or not, in China. We've been in China now for two years. Unfortunately, this thing happened, but um, I, I was over there multiple times. My team has been over there training and they, they've done a really good job. So we, we were able to scale this, uh, our training and uh, able to really wrap business systems around it, which which is really unique in the industry. Cause I think a lot of people kind of miss the boat when it comes to understanding business structure and knowing how to monetize your education. Like we, we spend so much time developing our education, becoming really good coaches and, and delivering good information, getting our athletes better. How do you really package that to monetize that, to have a, a business that you can duplicate, that you can have a structure and, and develop reoccurring income, right? I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, you want to have, or create a reoccurring income business for some security and and just and just enjoy the, the the work you put out there. So anyway, that's that's the story. That's where we are now. So a lot of a lot of history, a lot of experience. You know, made a lot of mistakes over those years, and I think that's what gives me the the I guess the right to say, yeah, we have a license because I I gained a lot of expensive experience. Expensive experience is when you go through you know, business and training and you make mistakes and it costs you money. You're like, oh man, why did I do that? And you spent all this time with this software or this, that's expensive experience. Inexpensive experience is when, you know, you talk to a guy like me and I say, hey, I did that, don't do that, do this. And now that's, you know, a fraction of the cost of time and effort you put into something. Um, so we, we've got, done it for a long, long time. We continue to do it at a high level. And um, now we're in the business of, of really sharing that information. That's fantastic. The, the, the interesting thing too, is that, well, you've found your niche, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of youth conditioning and speed, but you actually started as like the helping with Phil Sims and the New York giants and yeah. other NFL players and, and then helping develop their speed and their power. So what was it that made you go and have this shift into more, I got to focus on the kids. I want to do developing speed for future athletes rather than just dealing with the athletes that are there. Yeah, that's that's a really great question. I'll tell you the Phil Sims story. And I think there's a lot of takeaways from this story. Yeah. So I, I, I you know, I've always gone to seminars and like we all do, we go take education. I'm always listening to education, signing up for education. And I have two sons, you know, my, I, have, I have a 18 year old who's a senior at Don Bosco. He's a basketball player. Uh, and I have a, I have a, a 16, uh, 16 year old who's a sophomore football player uh, at a very competitive high school. And they grew up in the Parisian speed school. And, you know, even to this, when they were younger, they saw me going to all these seminars and I had a pretty big business like that. Why, why are you going to all this? Aren't you one of the leaders? Why do you have to continue to go? Because that's how you stay a leader. Like if I go to a seminar, if I can learn one thing, 
from a guy that he might not be as experienced as me. And it doesn't matter. I'll learn from him. He can learn from me and we help each other out. I went, you know, I went to a, I go to a lot. Of, I just enjoy going to educational events. So anyway, when I was younger, I was still in college. I go to this seminar that was hosted by the uh, head strength coach of the New York Giants. His name was Johnny Parker at the time. This is 1989. I'm still an undergraduate in college, right? I'm going to seminars. I'm, you know, just like kids out there might be listening to you. They're in college. They, they go to seminars. They join the NSCA. And I was a member of the NSCA back in the 80s as a college kid. And uh, so I go to this seminar and he's, he brought over Angel Spazov, who was the head coach for the uh, Bulgarian Olympic lifting team. Now, for those of you back in the 80s, the Bulgarians, they were huge, huge. They were like, they won all the gold medals. Now, maybe they, knew, they, maybe they knew how to manipulate drugs better than everybody else back then, right? <laughs> Drug testing back in the 80s, I don't think it was what it is today. In any event, they were really good, right? They had really good technique. So I go to this seminar, I sit in the front. It's head strength coach, New York Giants, Angels Bazoff, boom, I'm asking questions, I'm engaged. And I'm, you know, I'm, I think I'm 20 at the time, I don't remember. And uh, they were like, wow, you know, interesting. Lunchtime, I say, can I go to lunch with you guys? It was just Johnny and Angel, the two of them. And I was a young kid, you know, I took advantage of it. You know, they're like, all right, come on. So during lunch, they said, so what's your story? And I actually happened to just get back from Finland. I was training in Finland. I was an All-American track athlete. I had two-year All-American under my belt at that point. And they were, um, they were impressed. So Johnny says, and this is only two years after Phil Simms won the Super Bowl MVP, had the highest rated performance of, of any quarterback in history and still does in the Super Bowl in terms of quarterback rating, right? In terms of his completion rates, I think he had, it was like only three incompletions. It was like 26 for 29 or something. It was insane. Anyway, so Phil was like huge in New York. It was the Giants' first Super Bowl. So Johnny says, hey, I'm really impressed with the, those medicine ball drills you're talking about and and, and what you're doing with the overhand throwing motion, I want you to come down to Giant Stadium and show Phil Sims like what you're doing. And I, now all of a sudden, you know, before you know it, I go meet Phil, I'm showing him these movements and just different core development exercises. Phil winds up winning the long ball competition uh, in the quarterback challenge. I don't know if you remember, they used to oh, have heck the, yeah. Yeah, the NFL quarterback challenge. He was the only one with a little bit of a run up. I taught him a little kind of step and throw. He won the long ball. So guess what? Phil became my first client and then wow. eventual, eventual investor in the Parisi, into the Parisi business. See, I'm uh, just imagining Wayne's World, the movie, and them just saying, Alice Cooper wants to party with us. That's basically <laughs> what you were feeling like. Oh, Phil Sims wants me to be his trainer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Well, and I was just, I was working with them. And, you know, I mean, I didn't back, back then at that point, I was still in college. So I, probably went and worked with them maybe you know a dozen times right over the course of so many months so I wouldn't say I was like with them every day no I would I would him and, and Johnny I would share you know share training insights right sure. so w whatever you want to call it. but we became really good friends and uh you know he got involved and he went on to have you know he went on to play really well in 1990 he was uh he was an all pro you know he may he was all pro in his last year of his career he had one of his best years and that wasn't because of me. I, I would like to think, yeah, I taught him a couple things to keep his arm fresh and vibrant. Uh, but, you know, Fossil came in and, you know, he just, he really, he's an incredible quarterback coach, him and his son, Matt, they do quarterback le uh, lessons now. But um, anyway, that's, that's the, the mentality. You got to be in attack mode. I wasn't afraid. Hey, can you go to lunch? Hey guys, can you go to lunch? And, and I started there and then that experience led me to realize, Hey man, I, you know, I can help guys throw further, but 
not many people are throwers. The market for throwers, it's it's big, but it's not as big as I I can take these same principles. It's not hand speed I'm improving. It's foot speed, foot speed into the ground, right? Uh, ground reaction force and and rate of force development, you know. So really, rate of force development into the hand through the jab. Same thing, hitting a golf ball. Same thing, throwing a baseball, swinging a baseball bat. It's now I'm going to put it into the foot, right? So the body is the object, if you will. I'm not trying to throw an implement, trying to propel my body, catapult my body as fast as I can. So took those same principles and applied it to field and court sports speed. Um, and that's the birth of the Parisi Speed School and, and started the quest of learning and developing a system that can be duplicatable, you know, that I can scale and teach coaches that's easy to understand, that doesn't go so deep where we confuse them with paralysis by analysis and a system that absolutely gets results. And, you know, the slower you are and the less athletic you are, the more results you're going to get, right? I mean, if we all know that. If you have a sound program, as you become more developed and now you're a high school varsity athlete and you want to now compete at the college level and you want to go now, the program has to be more dialed down and we get more specific. And that's where we start to focus on, you know, smaller groups of four kids and more customized training. But we have a system of, of, of real preparatory and, and how to get athletes, you know, develop their foundational movements and really create this base and as they develop and grow, depending on their sport, you know, we're going to customize training for them appropriately. So that's kind of how it all started. It really all started as an overhand throwing, you know, motion quest and, and, and then and taking that education information and, and, and going in the, in the speed direction. And, and into the youth sports development or, or athletic development there. But at the same time, it seemed like you were keeping your foot in the door at the NFL because you still have... Well, there's tremendous accolades and, and, and awards that have been granted to you through NFL strength coaches and so on. But you're, you're a part of the combine, right? You're, you're there with them every, how long have you been doing the NFL combine? Uh, actually it's, it's 10 years now the, you know, this, we've been doing it over 10 years, kind of running um, the NFL strength coaches association. So about 10 years ago, the coaches came to me and they said, Hey, Bill, you know, you're really good at, you know, just, your, your business and structuring things and what you've done with your speed school in terms of training and education. Can, can you help us? So they didn't really have any real organization. Um, I went in there 10 years ago and really started the, the professional football strength coaches association. Um, and, you know, they had a meeting every year at the combine, they would kind of recognize each other. And I formalized that now we have a, a massive banquet. It went from 10 years ago before I got involved, like maybe 15 coaches showing up, you know, and, and, and recognizing one another, strength coach of the year and, you know, having a couple of drinks in, in a hotel lobby to now we average 90 full time NFL strength coaches and 30 head strength coaches attend our event every year. So 30 on average, 30 head strength coaches attend about 60 assistants attend. So we have we probably have about 95 percent attendance of all strength coaches to our yearly event. And that event consists of a few things that I've kind of morphed it into. One, it's a, it evolved into an unbelievable banquet ceremony. It's like the uh, ESPN ESPYs for strength coaches, where we, we recognize the NFL strength coach of the year and voted on upon his, from his peers. So we have a whole voting system. They all vote who's the strength coach of the year. They get an unbelievable award that costs us a thousand dollars. Like we give them a really cool plaque, right? I mean, 
And then we have the uh, Super Bowl winning strength coach award we give out. And then we give out a lifetime achievement award. Someone that's retired that really gave back to the industry. And we fly them in, we pay their expenses. So it's an unbelievable event. We bring in a keynote speaker. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, three, four hour banquet award ceremony, which grew into something now. We, we capped the sponsorships at about 15 sponsors. So, you know, like Life Fitness, Perform Better, they all sponsor. And we don't want it to be overly, spon- you know, I, I could probably get 50 sponsors, but, you know, we, we, we manage it because we don't want the guys to be overwhelmed and, and, in, and at the banquet because the sponsors are there to uh, just network with the guys, get to meet the guys. But then that morphed in, I, I came up with an idea. I said, why don't we provide some education for these guys too? They're at the combine. Well, let's do something. And um, we started bringing in speakers. And in 2018, I went a step further. I said, why don't we just have an educational event? So I hosted an event in Las Vegas just for NFL strength coaches. And I brought in like Stu McGill and, you know, other guys they wanted to hear for over three days. And, you know, I filmed the whole thing. And, you know, so we'll do education, special education for coaches. Last year, 2019, in March, I ran a cadaver course for NFL coaches where we studied fascia. And we, you know, we, we dissected an unembalmed cadaver uh, and we looked at the anatomy. I had an anatomist expert. I had some other subject matter experts attend. So I'll run different education. And then Gatorade uh, saw what we were doing. They jumped on as a, as a, as a lead sponsor. And believe it or not, NSCA now uh, is our official education partner for professional football. Strength oh, coach. that's fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, I've been a member at NSCA almost as long as you. I mean, I think 90, 90 maybe 92, I, I joined. So, yeah, we're, we've been there a while, and it's really great to see how they're growing. It's good to hear that. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring in this, this consortium of strength coaches in the NFL. I was just talking to uh, Mike Potenza. He'll actually be on in a couple of weeks. He's the strength conditioning coach for the San Jose Sharks in the NHL, and they're actually doing the same thing now. Whereas before, you know, it was almost like this competition where you yes. don't want to share your trade secrets. And now it's turning where, hey, there, there are no secrets. There, there's, it's just the way we're doing things. And I'd like to know how you do them. And it's more of a collaboration, which is really nice that you've been able to, to bring that together too, to be one of those pivotal points. And that's huge. We are getting them more, to, uh, getting them to collaborate because there was a standoffish attitude 10 years ago about that education stuff, but we've broken down those walls tremendously. Uh, Jerry Palmieri has been instrumental in, in helping with this, helping me with this whole thing, a former NFL strength coach for the Giants, won two Super Bowls. So he's been a great liaison um, to, to kind of facilitate. So it's been, it's been a great experience. These guys are great guys and and now they're very busy. So you know, we deliver, you know, education and it's kind of fun for me because now I'm out reaching to different subject matter experts around the world and say, Hey, by the way, do you want to present to the NFL strength coaches? You know, like who, imagine. who, who wouldn't want that opportunity? You know, I, I, I had the fortune to present last year in 19 on fascia to, to the guys. And it was, it was a great opportunity. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. Cause I was just about to mention fascia too, cause you brought it up just moments ago before that. So in the U S we've, we've got some leaders in fascia whether it's uh, tom myers up in walpole maine or or some others but uh, you've got robert schleep in germany and it seems like a lot of the fascial information or research coming out of europe but uh where, where do you find most of your information uh great great question uh i'll give you the fascia history for me uh and and i'll i'll if you if you want it because i think there's a lot of important nuggets um yeah. in, in the whole fascia thing so 
I feel the opportunity here in fashion is very big. And, and let me explain why. So 30 years ago, when I got started, people didn't understand or believe speed can be improved. There wasn't speed trainers. There wasn't speed programs. Right now, they're prevalent, right? And, uh, you know, I, that's our core competency. It's what we do. We understand speed at a, at a fairly deep level. And um, it, we know we can improve it. But now we understand why. And, and it's not just a matter of getting stronger. You know, getting stronger is a, a, an important part. We understand rate of force development plays an important part, but the fascia system, the connective tissue system plays a much more, uh, much bigger role than we ever understood. So I started to look at this when one of my, one of my go-to guys is Dan Path. Uh, Dan, I know, I've known Dan, he's a, you know, uh, strength conditioning, uh, I really, he's a track and field coach, uh, Dan, he, he um, was the uh, track coach for University of Texas when Chris Sims was an athlete there. I'm dating myself. This is back in the early 2000s when I got to know Dan a little bit more. And he, he's been a pioneer in a lot of different areas of speed development. He's coached over 20 Olympic and world champion medalists in track and field. Um, and he was also hired by uh, London to run their entire track and field program back in the uh, London Olympics uh, in 2012. So uh, really high level guy. He, he, he was talking a lot about fascia, fascia, fascia. And I have a relationship with Dan. I'll go out and see him in Texas. Uh, I went out, he, he helps um, Altus out, does work for Altus, but I went out, you know, and, and stayed three, four days with him. Um, actually with my sons, just to jam, you know, I'll do things like that. You know, I'll bring my boys. Hey, let's, you know, coach them up. Let me watch you coach them up. You know, you're a world-class guy. Let me sit here and just film everything you're doing. And he's a great guy. Like we have a relationship, so I can do that with people. Right. I mean, nice. I brought Dan in to speak to the NFL strength coaches, you know, he, you know, he, he spoke to those guys, made a couple bucks. It's like, you know, you just, you, you know, you, you work with each other, you help each other out and good things happen. So anyway, talking fashion, fashion, fashion. So he gave me a couple articles to read. I started doing a deep dive and I'm, I'm like, holy cow, no, no one really understands this system. So I decided to do more research. I went and saw Tom Myers. I, I took uh, Tom's course, his anatomy dissection course, 40 hours in the cadaver lab, I, which was a hu huge out-of-body experience, was unbelievable. I, I started researching, calling guys. And ironically, one guy right here in New Jersey uh, Dr. Tom Finley is an MD, PhD, one of the founders of the Fascia Research Society, was right in my backyard. So got together with him, started doing more. So I said, there's so much great information. Here, I got to write a book. So I wrote a book, put it out in uh, March of 19. It's uh, a little bit over a year, year and a half old now, uh, called Fascia Training. And it's really the, the understanding and the history of this system that we didn't really realize existed. And it's really alive and, and vibrant and uh, plays a huge role in our health and our athletic performance. And I'm just, you know, really curated uh, a lot of the research out there and interviewed different people like Finley and other people, um, Tom Myers, uh, Michelle Delcourt, all these different people that have lots of experience with this system, put out the book and the book is starting to get some really great traction. Actually, Eric Cressy just read the book, the, the new you know, strength coach of the, of, the, of the Yankees or the director of player health. Uh, he was he was really excited about the book and he said put a lot of things together and I just finished the podcast with him a couple of weeks ago uh, and and really what I discovered was not many people truly understand the role fascia plays in the human body and how it really is responsible uh, for most of our soft tissue injuries the fact that it's not resilient typically and we live as strength coaches too much in the sagittal plane and don't understand how to train fascia. And after I've done all the research, 
put out the book. Ironically, some people, Robert Schleip saw the book, some other people saw the book. They got, they were really impressed and, and really impressed with what I've done with my business and the NFL strength coaches. So I was elected. Now I'm on the board of directors of the Fascia Research Society, which is Robert Schleip, Tom Finley, all the top minds and created incredible relationships with the top researchers in the world, like just really good relationships where we have a, we have a, the board of directors. We have a meeting tomorrow for six hours. I was elected treasurer for that organization. It's a nonprofit. They put on the Fascia Research Congress every three years. It was in Berlin in 18. It's scheduled to be in Montreal in 21. Hopefully we're going to come through, go through with it. I don't know, but we're going to decide on that soon. So I got involved uh, with these guys and um, really now on the cutting edge uh, of this information coming out with another book soon that's going to be published through Human Kinetics uh, that we're very excited about. It's going to do out in 21. That's going to do a deeper dive. And um, just I just have done a very, very deep dive in fascia. Uh, and what's interesting, somebody like Tom Myers, he's, he's amazing. He's, he's brilliant and does tremendous work with the Body Works people and whatnot. Um, a lot of Tom's information, if not all of it, uh, besides the stuff he's discovered, has come from you know a lot of these experts like Robert Schleip and Carla Stucco and uh, these re those are the researchers right and then it's guys like Tom that does a great job interpreting the research and making it more user friendly and that's exactly what I'm doing and Tom does a great job doing that for the Body Works people and for the you know therapists but now I'm doing that for the sports performance people you know that's fantastic yeah, yeah. So, so I love uh, it I, go ahead sorry. Well, no, and that's, so I'm happy to get into uh, really key elements on fascia and training fascia, where if coaches are listening and they want takeaways on this newly discovered organ, by the way, this is considered a newly discovered organ because it has 10 times more the proprioceptors than muscle. So let me say that again, fascia has 10 times more the proprioceptors than muscle. You know, we used to think when we run, and it's true, when we run, our, our receptors are taking information, it goes to the spinal cord, comes back down, creates a, a response, you know. Uh, the alpha yeah. gamma, you know, we, we, but now we know the fascia and the proprioceptors in fascia, it doesn't even go to the spinal cord. Like we're starting to learn that fascia is facilitating contraction. Now I'm going to, this is my interpretation of some of the preliminary research, but there's more and more things that are coming out to back this up. You know, your true academia will say that's not 100% proven yet. But we have what's proven is we have 10 times more the proprioceptors in fascia. And we know those proprioceptors don't necessarily communicate to the spinal cord like the, the, the receptors in the muscle. Uh, so uh, like some of the receptors in the muscle. So to me, proprioceptors are in the, in the fascia around the muscle for a reason. And, and there's more evidence coming out. And as soon as the uh, technology and the equipment, the diagnostic equipment continue to improve more and more, we'll learn more about this. That's why we're so far advanced right now in 2020 compared to where we were in 1990 or 2000 because the technology equipment we can see fascia we can see these things in vivo in live fascia that we couldn't 20 years ago so that's what's advancing this information this knowledge so and then also when you've got the opportunity to dissect unembalmed cadavers that aren't you know uh, uh preserved with maldehyde and whatnot you can really study this the, the system even more so and and how it wraps and how it morphs around different structures so, um, I, I, you know, let me, let me stop here for questions, but there's a lot about fascia I'm happy to share uh, oh. that I think could be really important takeaways for, for coaches to, to understand.
No, I love it. I mean, you could just, uh, you could talk all day for me and I'll eat it up. I loved uh, taking courses with Tom Myers. He'd come out to Berkeley here and uh, I, I ate up anything he said. It was great information. This was coming at a time where I was very ingrained into Gary Gray and the Gray Institute and uh, three-dimensional movements, analysis, performance systems, and and all that. And, and it's really where in those chain reaction courses, he was explaining about all the proprioceptors that are in the fascia, in the joint capsules, and not just the Golgi tendon organ and muscle spindle that every certification process has for personal trainers, but it was so much more. That brought me into gait and understanding. I had been doing posture realignment programs for a whole bunch of people for many, many years, but this brought me into a whole new world. In fact, nowadays with our program design here, it is fundamentally founded on posture alignment and gait mechanics. And that is really how do we fight gravity and how do we move in the presence of gravity, landing on the planet and pushing off. And we can overlay that into so many movements in the gym and non-traditional and traditional alike that uh, that's that's you're just talking my language. And I love the fact that more and more information is coming out there. I mean, Robert Schleip, I've been studying his work for quite some time, the DVDs and the books he's come out, just a, a whole bunch of information. Of course, Tom Myers continues to get some great information coming through his websites and his coursework and his, his dissection courses, like you mentioned. But uh, I think it's phenomenal. I love the fact that fascia is almost our free ride, where it is our efficiency model for, for locomotion, where we are using the viscosity and the elastic properties in that fascia to help propel us more so than wasting energy in the muscle. And so to tap into that stuff, into a speed component, man, I would love to be a fly on your wall any day of the week. Yeah. Well, let uh, let me, let me build on some of the things you shared there. First of all, Gary Gray is a pioneer. There's no doubt about that. He's way ahead of his time, was way ahead of his time 20 years ago. Uh, I respect Gary Gray and his work. He's tremendous and he's a tremendous individual. Um, and, 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 he, and he shares really sound principles. And, and there's a circuit of people like a Todd Wright and a Michelle Delcourt that, that value Gary Gray's work, and so do I. And, um, you know, so let, let, let's talk a little bit about fascia in this system, right? So one of the key elements like osteoblasts that build bone, we got fibroblasts that, that, that spool fascia. And what's really interesting, what I'm doing, my goal, my objective is to take this science and really, you know, bring it down to layman's terms so our coaches can understand it interpret it and apply it right and really understand quickly and apply because you know most people just aren't going to dive into research and and try to interpret the research studies it is just you know we're not wired like that especially younger people now where attention spans are limited they said you know give me give me the, the the important stuff so let me give you some important stuff on fascia first we know it's 90 percent water and collagen uh, 10% are, are roughly cells is, is what we know. One of those cells are fibroblast cells that are actually literally little spiders that crawl around the body and, you know, literally cast webs of collagen, right? Protein, collagen, uh, elastin. And, and what they're doing is they're casting like a spider would cast a web, collagen fibers of, of fascia, which is this cellophane kind of wrapping, and you have different landmarks of lots of this type of wrapping, which is an aponeurosis underneath your foot or your IT band. You know, that's that's a, a bundle of this stuff wrapped just like any like rope. If you look at a rope, it has, you know, little strands. You put a lot of strands together, bigger rope, thicker rope, thicker, thicker. 
So you have landmarks of fascia, right, that we know and designate, just like the 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 oceans and on the on the planet, the Atlantic, the Pacific. Then you have pockets of water, canals in different areas. Well, fascia is 90% water and collagen, so it's similar. The point I'm making: these fibroblast cells cast spools of fascia based on the stress we put on our, on our body, where it's put on, how it's put on, the rate it's put on, the load, and also the lack of stress we put on our body. So if we're sitting in a poor posture for long periods of time, not only the neurological system is locking down the muscle, right? Where, where it's, it's, it's maybe it's hypertonic and it becomes locked. But now we know for, for a fact, not only could it be hypertonic and neural, but absolutely, literally fibroblast cells are casting webs of fascia. And if you stay there for not too long and you get up and stretch, you're literally breaking apart those, those, those collagen fibers. You're, you're separating them so you can create mobility. Now, if you don't stand up and stretch and you're like in, in a seated position for a long time over a number of years, guess what? You're locked into this position. And it's not just neural. It's this collagen fiber. Now you need body work to break that fiber up. And basically the analogy is muscle without fascia is pulled pork. When you slow cook pulled pork, you dissipate all the fascia. Muscle without fascia is chopped meat, you know? So we have fascia interwined between every cell, every muscle, around muscles, organs, arteries, veins, fascia is everywhere. We used to think, doctors used to think, and a lot of doctors still do, that it was simply packing material, had no real use. Well, it's a lot more than packing. It's a sensory organ and it does a lot more and it plays a huge role in athletic performance and injury resiliency. Studies with kangaroos and, and connective tissue, we know, as you mentioned, free energy. Kangaroos expend more energy walking than they do hopping because using the elastic recoil of free energy, non-calorie dependent elastic kinetic energy is stored in the connective tissue, the Achilles and the fascia. So we know that. My friend, Robert Schleip, who you know, I've, I'm close with him. We, we're doing a lot of work together now. Uh, he did a um, ultrasound on the right pec of Thomas Roller, who's a top five javelin thrower in the world, German javelin thrower. He identified a two millimeter thick aponeurosis around his right pec and none on the left because he's wow. a right-handed thrower. So what does that tell you? Fascia was created, this fascia sling was created based on the demands we put on our body. And he's a javelin thrower, world-class guy. So he's got this aponeurosis, that's all free dynamic energy. And that happens in our athletes. So you look at basketball players, my breakthrough was to write the book. You look at basketball players, they don't, they don't do a lot of traditional lifting, right? And some of them could really mess themselves up if they do too much lifting, but Typically, most basketball players are connective tissue athletes. They're driven through this free energy system, and they develop this free energy system and this fascia connective tissue system. How? Playing two hours, three hours of basketball every day for 10 years. So they don't look muscular, but they are by far your Division I college and pro basketball players are by far the most athletic people on the planet, far none, not even a conversation. Like, don't even try to say, if you look of a, a, a body of, you know, a body of people, you know, the groups of people, like high-level basketball players, Division One NBA professional basketball player, compare them to any other professional sports group, 
by far the greatest athletes. Of I'm talking athleticism, body yeah. movement. No and doubt. It's because of their elastic connective tissue fascia systems. And they've developed those systems better than anybody else because they're jumping and moving in multiple directions every single day. And their body responds. They're not getting bigger. They're not getting necessarily, they're, they're, they are getting stronger in their specific moves, but it's the connective tissue. And connective tissue takes, you know, 12 to 24 months to develop where muscles can develop in, in, in weeks, you know? Right. And that's why we get injury. Muscles too strong for the fascia. And the connective tissue, the myofascia is really what's, what's getting damaged a lot of times in soft tissue muscle, muscle pulls and injury because you, you don't have the structural integrity of the fascia to hold it all together. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting science out there right now. And, uh, you know, if I was to ask you a question, you know, an example is this, and this is where I, I'm trying to change paradigms in the industry and of, of training with strength coaches. Coaches that, you know, squat, deadlift, they live in the sagittal plane, they bench, they lunge, they step up. They lat pull, they shoulder press. It's all sagittal plane stuff. We do way too much sagittal plane stuff, way too much. Back to, you know, all the guys you spoke about before. Well, if we were to have a competition, we have two wrestlers and they both have the same aptitude with technique. They're both the same exact weight, same age, all that. But one kid, his training for strength was in the weight room. And the other kid was a farm boy. He grew up on the farm and he was doing chores his whole life. And he's just got that natural bare strength and he's lifting bales of hay and he's doing it every single day, three, four hours a day. What that farm boy did was submaximal loading in omnidirections. So he's literally creating this wetsuit underneath his skin, no different than a power lifter. What does a power lifter do when he goes and gets ready for his bench press competition? He puts on a super tight shirt to get free energy to bench press more. He puts wraps around his knees to get free energy around his knees to squat more. Well, guess what? When you train like a farm boy and you understand how to train fascia and you do it consistently, omnidirectional with some maximal loads, you are creating this internal wetsuit to provide more free energy in all the movements you do. And that's what basketball players have done. They created this elastic wetsuit and also their Achilles are developed a lot more than most athletes. Why? Because they're bouncing over and over and over again, more than any other sport. You know, when you yeah. practice and play games, that's a change of direction workout for two or three hours. Who's doing change of direction for two hours every day? You know, who's doing that? Well, you talk about the farm boy and instantly I think of Rulon Gardner. Yeah. I mean, there he is Olympic wrestler at its finest. And what was he? Uh, was he Iowa, Oklahoma farm boy, something like that. He was lifting cows over the fence or something. You know, yeah. he, he wasn't hitting the weight room. And it's, it's great. You're, you're just, you're preaching to this choir here, this one person choir, because this is exactly what we're talking about. Well, what I was presenting at Perform Better this summer was, was program design based on, well, primarily posture and gait mechanics, but getting away from the sagittal biased program designs, going more unilateral and multi-directional or dimensional. Frontal plane motion is where most people lock down. It's the fish muscles that allowed us to swim through the ocean that ever since we've gotten arms and legs, we don't utilize them nearly as much as we do sagittal and transverse plane. And the more we're restricted in those areas, the less power output the body's going to 
give. This is where the path has been progressively taken me is further and further away from loading up a lot of strength training in a program for an athlete and shrinking it down to only a certain amount because I want to really facilitate better three-dimensional movement. I want that fascia to be more viscous and more open and more elastic. And that's not going to get me where I need to be. So I've actually in the hour program design that I typically do, I'm only going to do about maybe 15, 20 minutes the most. One third of the program is going to be on some type of, of res, like loading in external resistance in, in that fashion with weights. Other stuff is going to be bands. It's going to be rolling. It's going to be three-dimensional movement. Are, are you saying the same thing that I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think first off, I couldn't agree more. And I think based on the athlete, their training age, their sport, you know, and their needs, right? Yeah, uh, sure. Some athletes might le need to, to load more of that sagittal plane traditional uh, until you get a foundation to a degree. But but by all means, yes, this, this uh, I like to call it omnidirectional. And, and one of my guys I, I love and, and I learned a lot from is Michelle Delcourt, inventor mm -hmm. of the uh, Viper. Um, so, so this omnidirectional submaximal loading approach whether it be with a Viper, like Michelle's tool or med ball, kettlebell, like doing different things in, in, the, in, the, in the transverse plane, right, is, is critical. And, and that frontal plane as well. And I, again, limiting the sagittal plane work, right? I mean, that, that's, that, that limiting that, that, that plane where we, you know, bench and we squat, we're doing everything, you know, this way, right? So, so by, by working all three planes of motion and, and starting to even that out is, is critical. Now, Listen, depending on your sport, like if you're a power lifter, you're going to live in the sagittal plane. Sure. sure. But don't expect to be a great power lifter and try to rotate because you're going to get hurt. You know, you, you know, you're going to get hurt. And I'm a big Stuart McGill guy. And uh, you know, I dove into his research and what he says and does. And that's been incredible. Well, that's the thing too that you just mentioned is like if you are been if you've been training with traditional lifts that are primarily sagittal plane, your ability to rotate is going to be minimized. It's going to be limited or restricted in certain areas, and the places that you rotate are going to be overly rotating because of those restrictions. So you're going to run into problems with lumbar or cervical or knee most likely. And we don't want that. So for the listening audience, don't just say, cause Bill's saying we got to do more rotation. Don't just go out there and start throwing a medicine ball around. You actually need to know where the rotation's coming from. You need to really assess where your restrictions are before you start to just go nuts with a whole bunch of movements that you're not familiar with. Right. Yeah, well, well, if you want to really, again, I love going down to the nitty gritty and the guys would probably appreciate this, but I have my model. I think it's in my car. I was going to pull out my spine model, but if you really, you want to be careful with this because when you load the spine, right, with a squat or what have you, you're, you're putting stress on that annulus fibrosis, that disc that, you know, that encloses the nucleus propulsus, which is the jelly inside the, the disc, the jelly donut inside. And when you load that spine, um, one, if you're, if you're not in neutral and you don't have pristine technique, you're going to accelerate the delamination of that collagen fiber of that disc. And when you do that and, you know, you might feel fine and, and, and whatnot, even if you have perfect technique, you're going to put a wear on that, on that disc and, you know, you got to recover, it comes back. So if you do a heavy squat workout, what I'm trying to say is, and then you go rotate, your risk for injury goes up big totally. time. Because you're, you're, you're in this broken down state, your discs are in a, 
are in a state where the tissue has been compromised. And that's what we do when we train, right? We compromise the tissue. We compromise the muscular tissue, the connective tissues, and we want it to recover and adapt and Wolf's law and all the things that take place, bone, right? Bone gets stronger, osteoblast cells come out and start firing, laying down thicker, stronger bone. And that's what we do when we train. But you gotta understand when you're training heavy loads of the sagittal plane, and then you go try to do something else, you're, you're, you're challenged. And you know, listen, that's what Tiger Woods did. You know, you look at the injuries he had, he was living in the sagittal plane and he's a rotating athlete. And, you know, they have given McGill public recognition on, thank you for helping us understand this and, and make and making a comeback. So you got to understand the anatomy, what's happening. And again, I've done a deep dive into that. I've done cadaver courses. We actually run through the book. I started a whole, a whole educational, uh, uh, you know, organization through the fascia training Academy. So it's the fascia training academy.com and it's everything about training fascia. Uh, it's research on fascia. We partnered with our friends in Germany, uh, Devo and Daniela, uh, who are incredible. Uh, actually Devo is, is actually married to Robert Schleip. She's, she, she's involved with us in that. So we're getting great information. Robert's involved. So, you know, we're bringing this to the forefront, all the things I'm sharing uh, real science, hard science, proven science, the things that I'm sharing now about whether it be the spine and, you know, the, 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 the annulus fibrosis, that, that connective tissue, it's collagen, you know, fi type fiber, it's, they're all interrelated, a lot of these connective tissues. Um, speaking about that, just understanding the anatomy, the science around that is going to give you a better opportunity to make decisions on how you program. Uh, in terms of, you know, if I'm going to sagittal load and that's what that kid needs, because, you know, I'm talking to Bill Kramer in this book I'm writing, I've interviewed a top, a lot of the top experts in the world. And, and he knows the science, the, the research proven, you got to squat two times body weight, to optimize power and speed, you know, two times body weights, the optimal number according, Hey, Bill Kramer wrote 12 books, put a lot of research out on strength. And I really, you know, he's a guy that I'm going to say, okay, if, if Bill says, this is what he's, he's uh, seeing and what he believes in, Two times body weight is the magic number. According to him, it is the magic number. And quite frankly, when you, my experience in speed training, um, you don't need a whole lot more than that. So if you're 200 pounds, you got a 400 pound squat, you're good if your goal is speed development. Like you got to work on other things, right? But it's this, it's this formula, it's this recipe, right? But you're making a cake, but you're making a cake uh, for a lot of different people. So this person might you know, bite into the cake and they love it. And this person says, ah, I don't like, it doesn't taste good to me. Well, you got to know how to bake a cake for your individual athletes. Right. And that's understanding where they are and what their, what their abilities are and where the deficiencies are. So if they don't have two times body weight, that, that, that would be a deficiency in the squat. Now, what if they can't squat? What if they have an injury? You know, then you have to work around that. There's ways to work around that. Dan Path coached three guys that ran sub 10-0 in the 100-meter sprint, sub-10-0, nine-point something, uh, which didn't squat. You know, they, they, they couldn't because of injury or for whatever reason. So there's ways to work around it, but but that is that is important. Um, you know, so not to get too far off track, I just wanted no, to. No, no, that's fantastic. Now, we are, we're running up against the clock. I can't yep. believe that an hour has flown by the way it has. And honestly... Bill, I could go for a couple more hours, but uh, I'm not Joe Rogan, so I'm not going to go there. But uh, you said you, you've got a podcast yourself, so plug that if you would for, for more people that want information about Parisi Speed School and everything else that you're representing. 
Yeah. Um, you know, believe it or not, I don't have a specific podcast for me. I mean, I know some of my coaches do. So a couple of things. If you yeah. want more information, one, uh, the Parisi Speed School. It's real simple, ParisiSchool.com. Uh, there's a bunch of information on that. We have different opportunities for coaches to take advantage of all different types of education. Uh, we also have, and we oversee the Professional Football Strength Coaches Association. So me and my organization, we all, we all help manage and run that. That has a bunch of resources and education. And then this new launch, only a couple years old, is the uh, Fascia Training Academy and our partners from Germany, my relationship with the Fascia Research Society, uh, the, the book I put out last year, it's on Amazon. Um, and now we have a new book, actually. The first book was self-published. This next book is going to be published through hum Human Kinetics. And it's going to do a deep dive in understanding uh, speed and fascia and go into all the research. So I'm curating, you know, all this research from these top people in the world and really serving it up in a really fun, easy read. And that's what the first nice. book is. The first book is a road trip of me telling a story. You know, that's really what it is. And uh, they're easy reads. They're a couple hour reads. And it was a great compliment when, when, you know, guys call me up or, you know, NFL strength coaches, you know, just like, wow, man, that's a paradigm changer. Or Eric Cressy is like, wow, man, it, it really put things together for me. So that is the um, foundation to the fascia training Academy, which now we're running courses specifically to understand how to train fascia, what it is and, and how to really understand this system where you can program, you can program it to, to enhance the performance of your athlete, whether they be a field or court sport or what have you, or just a general fitness person with the, with the women we partnered with, they have a brand called fascia fitness. We folded that under fascia training Academy. They've been doing education for the last eight, nine years uh, with 40 master coaches doing fascia education around the world. We actually just absorbed that, that entity under fascia training Academy. So a lot of Pilates and yoga experts, uh, physical therapists that are part of that network from Germany, Australia, are all now uh, part of the Fascia Training Academy. So that's that's an educational organization, a resource, kind of like Tom Myers. But the focus of Fascia Training Academy is sports performance and 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 injury resilience for athletes. So where Tom that's is, little, yeah, Tom's Tom's incredible. His focus has been more. Uh, manual you know, therapists, manual therapists, body works, things of that nature, where a hundred percent of our focus is, is athletic performance, speed and injury resiliency for, for speed and court sport athletes. Well, we'll put a lot of that information on the description for your podcast, as well as on the YouTube channel there, just look down below the video and you'll see it there for sure. And now I also want to bring up that uh, we had the perform better summer seminar series and you presented this summer. And I just spoke to, to Chris and Aaron back there in Rhode Island. They say any day now the perform better app is going to be out and launched and uh, hopefully before the end of this month, October. And so you can go and check out perform better app as soon as it is. And you'll get to, if you wanted to see Bill's talk, which what was the title of it, by the way? Uh, fascia training and application. There we go, right there. You can go to the Perform Better app and uh, you'll find all the presenters starting from mid-June to mid-September. There were 67 of us presenting and, and they'll have them all listed and you can watch them there, take notes and all that. So that's, that's just going to be a, a heck of an app to have. 
And uh, Bill, I, I just can't thank you enough. This has been fantastic. I, I love the, the, fascia, the fascia Training Academy. I'm, I'm very excited to look into that myself because that, that just seems like just another piece of the puzzle to help complete the, the mandala, so to speak, of, of training conditioning. So I'm, I'd love to have you back on somewhere down the road. Maybe after your book comes out again, we can kind of get you on and plug that a bit. Is that your own mind? Yeah, no, that'd be great. And with the with the Fascia Training Academy right now, you know, we, we have a network of about 20 uh, master coaches, mainly most of them are from Germany and, and Europe and Australia. Um, and, and they're going to be armed now with with information to help go out and educate more people a lot with live seminars and, and events, you know, focusing on on those elements. So, you know, I'll just leave off by this, Rocky, you do a great job, you know, podcast sharing information. And listen, a lot of challenge and things going on this year in our society and, and the pandemic. And it's all about helping one another. You know, it's, it's, we're out here helping one another, just just helping all the coaches out. And, and I'm, I'm excited to do it. So excited to give back, just help people succeed in the industry, help get people healthier, keep them injury resilient. And, uh, you know, life goes by too fast. You got to make the most of it and have some fun. Well, that's a wrap, and I'd like to once again thank Bill Parisi and Parisi Speed School for coming on and just sharing a whole bunch of great insight and information. If you missed last week's episode with Mike Boyle, one of the leading strength coaches in the nation, be sure to click on that link there. And then next week, we've got another amazing legend in the industry, Vern Gambetta. So be sure to come back next week and listen on in. Thanks for being here.